spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans, for the fans. What's up, Cajun Nation? Happy Friday. Happy Wear Red Friday. Glad you can't see the Zoom calls because I'm not wearing red. Welcome to Agent Review. Matt Miguez here. No Josh, no Jerry. They're both on dad duty today. So Matt's flying solo, and, and I know what your first thought is. Solo episodes with Matt are never good because Matt just rambles for 45 minutes, and it gets boring. Have no fear. I have an interview. Last week, we sat down with Kendall Rogers to cover the Cajuns baseball team. We're going to stay on the diamond, but a different diamond. We're going to talk some softball this week. And joining me to do so is the National College Softball Editor for Extra Innings Softball and the creator of Justin's World of Softball, Mr. Justin McLeod. Justin, man, good morning. Um, appreciate you hanging in there with all the, the audio issues that we, we went through the the first go around, but we got it figured out. Uh, how are you this morning, man? Got it figured out, man. I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you sticking with me, Phil. It's always fun to be on here and to talk some softball. Yeah, you know, I, we we were talking we were talking a second ago. There, there's very few, you know, big time outlets in college softball that uh, that cover it so you know intensely. So uh, it, it's good to get that perspective because we know how good our program is, but but it's nice to hear somebody from the from the outside uh be able to to echo that sentiment but you know let's talk about your new gig with extra innings um how how's that transition been from from running your own site to you know where you are now with extra innings and you know what are you what are you looking forward to the most you know as as the season gets going it's actually been a really nice transition um when extra inning you know approached me and wanted to talk about all that kind of stuff you know, and then, and then we start talking about it. I'm like, you know, I realized I, I was, it was the opportunity to do the exact same thing I'd been doing, but with more stability and to a, a larger audience and where I could concentrate on college ball. So at the end of the day, all things considered, you know, I, I always said my ego was not such that I had to have my name on what I was doing. The main thing was I wanted to be able to, to do it as best I could. And it, it turned into a no brainer. It's actually been a really nice transition. Um, been the last three months or so right in the heart of preseason softball and all that kind of stuff it's been a really nice transition um and it's been a lot of fun honestly um and, and it gives me some stability to be around college softball long term which was important to me too no doubt about it you know ec- extra innings has kind of built a name for themselves as you know the the premier outlet for college softball coverage and you know i mentioned that we, we sat down with kendall rogers last week from d1 baseball to uh, to cover the Cajuns, and he, he mentioned to us about D one softball, their their mm-hmm. new their new mark their new outlet for college softball coverage. From your guys' perspective, how is it having some you know I would like to say intense competition in in that in that realm? I mean, at the end of the day, it's good for the sport. Um, I'm one of those people that I always have said, you know, I I, I know what I'm doing, I know what we do etc etc but at the end of the day there's a lot of stories for one person to tell and there's a lot of good stories so it's 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 
good for the sport because you get to tell more of those stories. You get more centerpieces on more people, more more players, coaches, etc. I mean, to me, competition in the in the journalistic space has never been a bad thing. I mean, it's not it's not a cutthroat space, um, which which is nice. I mean, we all know one another and all that kind of stuff. And you know, mission we're very all along the same lines. You know, we want to write those stories. We want to be able to give coverage to the players and the teams and the coaches. So I've, I've never thought that competition in this space is a bad thing. I think it just helps. It honestly helps make each of us better because, you know, we always want to strive to be better. Um, so I'm one of those people, maybe it's not the popular opinion in some places, but I'm one of those people. I always thought, you know, competition's never a bad thing. You know, being in the same space. When I got started with Justice World, there wasn't anything. So now seeing the way softball journalism's grown since then, I think it's great. Yeah, you know, competition is never a bad thing. And and like you said, in, in the field of journalism, you know, that you call it competition, but it, it's really not. Because like you said, you, you know, you kind of bounce ideas off of one another. You grow from each other. Um, so yeah. so it's very it's very cool to see, you know, multiple outlets gaining gaining some ground. Justin, let's talk about this offseason. Um, yeah. You know, in, in baseball, there, there's been conversations with, with rule changes, you know, adding a paid assistant, uh, increasing scholarship numbers, stuff like that. From from a softball standpoint, anything anything gaining ground in the, in the softball game about, you know, maybe adding another paid assistant or increasing the number of scholarships for, uh, for college softball? Well, the third paid assistant legislation is really popular in softball. Um, softball and baseball are both really pushing that one, and it's, it's, it's a – definite they're in it together baseball and softball are in that push together i mean and, and it, it will be important if and when it happens um there's a lot of a lot of programs that you know have volunteers who live off of camp money or who you know have to do something else or you know during covid lord only knows the stories i've heard from volunteers you know because they can't get paid by the school they didn't have checks coming in um so that that's a big reason for the push for the third assistant it's it's not there yet it's not, it's not been, you know, finalized. It's not been voted on again. Any kind of thing. I do think personally, I think it'll come um, just because it's gotten to the point where, you know, even the smaller schools, which were, which were where some of the pushback came from was, well, you know, that just going to make the rich get richer and the rest of us left behind. I think some of those folks have finally come around to realizing, you know, e- even if you can't have three paid assistant coaches, it's not really a bad thing for somebody else to have three paid assistant coaches. Their coaching staff's not getting any bigger. It's just you're li- giving more people a more comfortable living possibility. Um, so that hasn't come down as, as official yet, but I, I do think it's finally trending in that direction. And I think it will next time around. Um, that's going to be the big one because, like I say, some coaching staffs, it won't change a bit. They've already got the volunteer in place. Now the volunteer will just get checks every every couple of weeks, every month. Um but I do think I do think it's coming sooner rather than later next time they get to vote on it. Yeah, you know it's it's time. Um, the the way that the way that both college baseball and college softball have grown, um, is is yeah. definitely time for that third paid assistant. Um, I agree. So I'm definitely looking forward to that happening down the line. Another big topic from this off season in college athletics has been name, image, likeness, and the yep. transfer portal. Um, it. Hasn't shown up really in softball yet, just because, or or baseball because you know the season really hasn't ramped up, but it has impacted football and basketball tremendously. Uh, how do, you, in your opinion, do you think NIL and the transfer portal changed the game of college softball? 
I don't think NIL will have as big of an effect as the portal has and will. Um, NIL is definitely going to be a factor for some things, but I don't think you're going to see NIL used as much of a a factor in recruiting and, and, and that kind of thing as you've seen in some of these other sports. I don't think you're going to see, you know, some of these some of these corporations that are being formed specifically to do NIL deals with players. I don't think you're going to see that kind of stuff in softball. Um, I, I don't think softball in the way it's set up these days is necessarily catered towards that. Now you've seen some softball players who've actually done really well with NIL. And I think that will continue. There's still going to be a positive to bringing in top level softball players for one reason or another who, um, you know, who, who will benefit your company and who also will benefit from receiving an NIL deal. Transfer portal, though, has, is, will have a really solid impact on college softball. And you could go both directions with it, honestly. I mean, you've had some transfers that go in and completely revitalize a program. Um, you know, we've, we've seen how the Cajuns have, have thrived with transfers the last few years. You take an Oklahoma State, for instance, where they bring in four, three, four, five kids a year, and it's a, it's a World Series team two years in a row. I think that will definitely continue. You're still going to see some players of a high caliber go into the portal for one reason or another. Um, I think that's going to definitely continue. We've seen it in every sport. Softball is no different. Some programs will hurt because the transfer is leaving. Some will benefit from transfers coming in. And, I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, it, once we figure out how to deal with it, you know, because it's one of those things where right now, you know, some smaller market programs may not be able to hang on to a 30 home run hitter or 30 game winner because, you know, maybe they go up to one of the, you know, bigger, bigger schools and that kind of thing. Once we figure out as a sport how to kind of put a handle on some things like that, there's nothing wrong with a kid transferring. You just want to make sure the kid's transferring for their own good, not because, you know, a connection made a phone call. Right. And, and I think that's the biggest hurdle we've got to get over. I think there's probably a lot of sports that have to get over that hurdle. But once we get over that one, I think the portal will kind of settle into a a pattern. And once we get into a pattern, I think we'll be much better off. Um, I just don't know. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know that it's going to happen, unfortunately. There's no telling when that's going to be. Um, right. I saw a statistic the other day that uh, last year, I think there were 70 college quarterbacks in the transfer portal. And Gosh. this year, and this year it's up to like 160. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely unreal. Um, I mean, you're talking close to a thousand softball players in the portal in the span of a year. Oh yeah, softball players. Yeah, uh, it, it's absolutely insane. Chatting with Justin McLeod from Extra Innings Softball. Justin, let's go ahead and dive into the Cajuns now. You know, yeah. looking looking back last year, 47 and 12, won the conference again, uh, got to a regional, took it all the way to the second game of Championship Sunday, but just wasn't able to get it done, and that was kind of the the message throughout the season you know you you played that that i-10 crossover with ul and lsu and you got games with oklahoma state and lsu you beat oklahoma state once but then you lost to them again and then you lost to lsu twice uh couldn't quite beat alabama last year you know again 47 and 12 you sit there and go oh well that's a great season but for age of cajun softball we expect numbers like that and the the message of the season last year was we just couldn't seem to win the big game why 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 do you think that was and how do how do you think that Jerry Glasgow can can turn that around for 2022? Well, you know, with the roster the Cajuns had last year, and first of all, 47 wins is, is great. That that's really good for a lot of teams. But with the roster the Cajuns had last year, I think it was kind of set up to 
to even bigger expectations than usual because of the talent on that roster. I mean, you combine the transfers with the players who had been around, you know, for, for a minute as Cajuns and all that. It was a really stacked roster, a lot of veteranship, a lot of experience, some World Series experience in there. And just if you look at that roster on paper, you say, well, this is obviously a World Series team. I think the biggest issue came in with, you know, it was one of those, it was a weird year for everybody, but I think it was one of those where that team was so stacked on paper that I think there were some things that, and don't get me wrong, from an analyst point of view, you know, I didn't, I didn't write it. I didn't put it out, but you know, some things like the fact that they were only together for a year or so in that combination, you know, you had some injuries where you had some folks who had to step up unexpectedly. So I think it's one of those things where it looks so good on paper that maybe, maybe some things, some other things were missed. I know, you know, when I look at it, I see a, you know, a star-studded lineup with World Series and SEC kids and transfers and homegrown and just a nice combination. But, you know, the the, the thing is, when you get them in, excuse me, and I look at them, you know, they got to have time to gel. And I think that was one of the things that was missing in some of those big games where, you know, the um, the success of, of some of the players and all that kind of stuff, you just, you just never really had a chance for them to jail. Now you get a second year with that whole group together. I think you're probably talking about something different, but I think that was a big piece to me when I would watch a game or I would you know, be at a game or take in a game. Um, you know, it, it's, it's who's up today. And, and it seemed like there were times where it was missing, you know, that m- more than a couple were, were allowed to have good days at the same time. Just, you didn't have that. You, you didn't have the, I guess the best way to not probably not the best way to phrase it, but you know, you didn't have the, the, the part of it where, you know, somebody knew when somebody was having off day and could pick them up kind of thing. I just felt like that was missing. Like you say, 47 wins is not a bad year, and especially in a, in a Sun Belt that's gotten better over the last couple of years. Um, but that was something that stood out to me. And, two, I felt like um, at times there were there were pieces of the lineup or there were times where it just seemed like it, it didn't look like a, a traditional Cajuns team. Um, and that's something, obviously, you know, the Cajuns have their way. And it just seemed like there were some games where it seemed a little discombobulated, to use a word. I don't know what you could pin down being discombobulated to, um, but that was something that stood out to me a couple of times too, where it was just kind of like, okay, something doesn't seem quite right there, so to speak. Yeah, it, like like you said, you hit on it. It was an interesting year for for everybody. Um, yeah, you know, slowly getting back in the rhythm of of what college athletics was like before COVID, um, right. and then still dealing with COVID. I mean, yeah. the the Louisiana Classics tournament that we host every year was canceled last year because yeah. of COVID cases. So yeah, last year was was an interesting year, um, which which is a shame because, like you said, the roster was just so stacked last year. Like yeah. that that team was meant to do something special. Um, but you know, look, looking forward to the twenty twenty two season, you know, first couple weeks of the year, we have some some big names on the schedule: Alabama, LSU, uh, UAB's got a pretty good program, uh, and then you know they're coming to the Louisiana Classics tournament next weekend to open the season. Uh, we also have a doubleheader with Texas somewhere along the line. Looking at the schedule, Justin, you know, what games kind of interest you? What games should Cajun fans look out for? You know, kind of talk about that for a little while. Well, that opening week, you've got UAB, you've got North Texas. Both are really good Conference USA teams in softball. Both are teams that have been that have been climbing, that have gotten better over the last couple of years. So that opening weekend is going to be going to be an interesting one to begin with because you don't have slouch of competition you've got legitimate competition um that, that you're going to see what i think you're going to see what cajuns are made of 
uh, right away to a certain extent. Um, so op- opening opening with a series like that, where you've got the UABs and the North Texases, I think that's that's good for for the Cajuns because you're you're not it, it, cupcakes are good. You know, teams that you feel confident you can beat are good. But sometimes you know, right off the bat, you, you maybe don't have a chance to shake the rust off. You just got to you know smack the rust off real quick and get going. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Um, that said, having you know, going from that into the second week, it would, you know, that's when you've got the, excuse me, second tournament, excuse me. That's when you've got some teams that, you know, probably, you know, should, should be some fairly, fairly easy wins, but then you've also got Alabama. And, and I think that's another interesting combination because you know what a test Alabama and Montana Fouts and company are going to be. But at the same time, you've got some get right games in there between Alabama matchups. And I, and I think the way that's set up could be really interesting for the Cajuns if for no other reason than the fact, you know, you play Alabama, okay, you win, you've got a few games against teams that you probably, you know, should beat pretty easily, and then Alabama again. Well, but if you lose to Alabama, you've got a few games to get right and then play Alabama again. So from the Cajuns' perspective, you know, the first two weeks of the season, I think, are super important because you've got games that will show you what you're made of, but at the same time, you should come out of it with, you know, no more than, a you know, a couple of losses. And then – I think that that's a really interesting part um, to start off, and then like you mentioned, the, the LSU and the Texas um, series and games. So I think they play. I think Cajuns play Texas like a doubleheader, and then a single game later on, like a home and home. And that's interesting to me because those two teams have been really Texas and UL, for instance. I'm speaking of. They've been really pretty evenly matched in games. You know, there's not been. Um, it's not like one team's gone into the other's home park and just blown them out of the water. And I, and I like that. that it's, I don't want to call it a budding rivalry, but the fact that, you know, those teams have made a habit of playing each other every year, and it's always good softball. And now they're going to visit each other, so you're going to see each one on the road, each one at home. So I, th- I think you're going to see pretty early what the Cadence are made of, and then you get into the games against the Texases and the LSUs a little further down the road. And I, I think you're going to learn a lot about, honestly, about both teams, but especially about the Cajuns and those matchups, because we're used to seeing them in, you know, wins or losses, everybody plays pretty tight games in those series. And I think, you know, if that continues this year, then it shows you the Cajuns will be just fine. If that falters, you know, or, or if the Cajuns, you know, blow a Texas or blow an LSU out of the water, well, then obviously I think it's going to tell us something a little different. Yeah, and that, that's not what we want to hear from, uh, right. from the first couple of weeks of the season. <laughs> Justin, man, let's talk about Jerry Glasgow. Um, yeah. he, he's been here for, I want to say this is going to be his fifth season. With, with the Cajuns, uh, he's a highly respected head coach. Um, he was a great assistant for Georgia and Auburn. And, you know, the results, the win-loss records speak for themselves year in and year out. Uh, talk to us about your experiences with, with him, not just as a coach, but as a person uh, covering college softball for the last few years. Jerry is one of my favorite coaches to cover. Um, he's very down-to-earth. You know, I always know if I'm sitting there on the phone with him or after a game with him, and I ask him a question, I'm going to get an answer. Um, it, 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 it's what part of what it's, he's one of those coaches that just makes my job from an interviewing and reporting perspective really interesting. I mean, he's a heck of a coach. I mean, we know if you look at statistics and you look at numbers and you look at happenings when he was at Georgia, when he was at A&M, you, and you see what the offenses did, you can see how good of an offensive coach he has been over his career. And then if you look at the talent that he's brought in, both from the transfer portal and with recruits and freshmen and all that, once he got to the Cajun, 
think that says a lot about him because especially the transfers, because when a transfer goes in the portal, you know, they're looking for something specific and it may not always be the same thing for every player, but they're always looking for something. And the number of transfers he's been able to bring in to the Cajuns, to Lafayette, you know, which is not a humongous media market. And it's not, you know, a team, it's not Oklahoma. We've got five national championships, but for between the combination of what the Cajuns are made of from a program historically, and then what Jerry tells a kid who comes in through the portal, you can tell that you makes them want to become Cajun. I think that says a lot about uh, a lot about him. And I mean, like we said earlier, you know, even with 47 wins last year, something that, you know, not the end result fans want and all that kind of stuff. 47 wins is still a heck of a year for most teams. And so, um, my experiences with him, he's always, always a lot of, a lot of fun, really interesting to, to talk to. I always get good answers, which is not always the case for every coach. We're going to be honest. Um, but I mean, he, he's done well everywhere he's been. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if I'm, if I'm picking a coach to have to interview after a win or after a loss, Jerry's probably going to be on the short list. Um, he's just one of those guys that, you know, you don't see a lot of folks nowadays, especially in the sports world, that are actually legitimately down to earth. But if you want to, if you want to put a coach's picture next to that definition in the sports writer's dictionary, Jerry's a good candidate for it. Yeah, Jerry's Jerry's the man. Um, the the few times that I've that I've spoken to him, he's just a, a class act individual, and mm-hmm. uh, the fact that we have him under contract until twenty twenty five is yeah. awesome. Makes That's me good happy. News. Uh, and Justin, one more question before we take a break. Uh, sure. Coming coming from a softball perspective, uh, you know, having a good pitching coach is is everything. Yep. And nobody did pitching better than this is going to baseball, but nobody did pitching better than Tony Robichaux. Yep. Uh, he was he was with the Cajuns for twenty five years, developed a pitching system that worked, and is now being sold nationwide. Um, his son Justin has been mm-hmm. added to the Raging Cajun staff as the, I don't know if his official title is pitching coach, but that's what he's focusing on. He's 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 helping the, the pitchers out. You know, what are your thoughts on adding Justin to this coaching staff? And, you know, what will he do well? And how does he kind of balance out, you know, the, the people that are already there? Well, first and foremost, I think the man has got a great first name. I just want to throw that out there. Um, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. Uh, from you know when I saw that hire or when I found out about it and, and kind of looked into it and all that, you know, on paper it probably doesn't look like the most overwhelming hire just because you know Justin doesn't have a ton of experience in softball. But to your exact point, he he comes from Tony Robichaux's tree. He comes from his his lot his lineage, excuse me. And I think that's important because you know softball and baseball have differences, but they also have some really similar nuances. So, you know, as much as, as anybody doesn't want to say, hey, softball and baseball are the same thing, because they're absolutely not, there's enough similarities to make it, you know, a worthwhile comparison. So I think that's that's a benefit with Justin. And, and I think, too, he's somebody that he knows he knows Cajun land so well. And he I know I know Jerry and the Robo shows go back a long ways. So he, there's that familiarity. And from a coaching staff and a chemistry perspective, that's important. You want to have somebody you know, on your staff if you're a head coach that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with, that you know you can trust. And as an assistant, you want to work for somebody that you know you can trust, that you know what you're getting, et cetera. From a softball perspective, honestly, I don't know much of what kind of a coach 
Justin Robichaux is going to be. I think pitching is, as you say, the most important coach position on the field. And, and, and truth be told, this is this is my first time seeing Justin Robichaux as a softball pitching coach. You know, but what's it going to look like when there's you, you get into a bases loaded situation in the seventh and you got to call a pitch to get out of it? You know, there's some things like that that I think, you know, referring back to something we said earlier, you know, first couple of weeks of the season, I think we're going to get answers to a lot of things that maybe we don't know. And I think it's one of them. You know, what does he bring to the table as a pitching coach? How do the pitchers look? You know, what have they been tutored to do? At the same time, you know, Jerry Glasgow's called pitches before, and Jerry Glasgow's been an, a de facto acting pitching coach at times. So I think that'll help bridge the gap a little bit because Jerry does know softball. And if there's any kind of learning curve, so to speak, for Justin, you know, that's a good way to help bridge it. Um, but honestly, I think the biggest strengths that Justin brings to that to that coaching staff obviously is the diamond sport experience and the things that uh, you know come from being you know from Tony Robichaux's line. I mean, there's there's intangibles that you can't teach in there. You know, you, you're around enough diamond sport, whether it's baseball or softball, either one. There's some things you're going to pick up over time that you can't teach. You know, in a span of a few months when you're added to a coaching staff. I think that's a definite strength. His familiarity with the Cajuns, he knows what the Cajun softball program is is made of and, and you know, historically how good the Cajun softball program is. So that helps too. And then I think, like I say, early on in, in the course of the season, I think we're going to learn what he's made of as a pitching coach. Are there going to be hiccups? Sure, possibly. But I think that's one place where, you know, the staff as a whole, to your other point, I think that's where the, the strength of the staff as a whole and that chemistry is going to come in handy. You know, maybe there is a hiccup here and there. Well, you know what? you can pick up a little bit of the slack and be good to go that way. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, another strength I think Justin's going to bring, um, having known Justin personally for, for most of my life, is, uh, you know, in, in softball, it, baseball and softball both, it, it's a mental game, right? Yeah. You know, Yogi Bear once said that baseball is 90% half mental. Yeah. Um, I still don't quite understand that quote, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, right. And and you know you're dealing with with eighteen to twenty two year old yeah. women. I mean, there's 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 going to be attitudes. There's going to be you know there's going to be mental. There's going to be a large mental aspect of the game that needs to work itself out. And Absolutely. and I, I think I think Justin's going to do that that very well. He's he's a level headed person, and you know much like his father was. And yeah. I, I think he'll be able to to balance all that out very well and and contribute to this staff immensely. Um, so definitely looking forward to to seeing Justin at work. But uh, we're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, Justin and I will break down the roster for 2022. We'll, we'll talk about who's going to be in the pitching rotation, talk about some big names that are coming back from injury, and a former Cajun great, her little sister, is on the roster for 2022. We'll talk about that and so much more right here on Rage Interview. We'll be right back.
over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Rajan Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at vaultedsecurity.com. Welcome back to Agent Review. Matt Miguez. Still chatting with Justin McLeod from Extra Inning Softball. We spent the first segment talking about a little bit of the schedule, talking about the coaching staff and NIL transfer portal. You know, that's been that's been the talk of college athletics for the last eight months or whatnot. Now let's take a deep dive into the roster. And, and right off the bat, Justin, <clears throat> excuse me, the Cajuns had the number one recruiting class in the country in, in 2021. Absolutely stacked top to bottom. But, you know, the, the top name on the list is Sam Landry. Uh, local kid, ranked the number four recruit in the country by you guys at Extra Inning Softball. Uh, right-handed pitcher. Her with the addition of Kentucky transfer Megan Shorman. How will obviously you know guys like that you know Sam Landry being the number four recruit and then Shorman coming from a program like Kentucky, they're going to find their way into the rotation. Yeah, and then you have Kendra Lamb who was was basically our second ace last year behind Summer. You know, if you ask me. Kendra's going to be the the number one, Sam Landry number two, Shorman number three. Uh, what can you tell us about both Sam and Megan 
and, and what do they what do they bring to to this pitching staff, which is kind of what the Cajuns have been been known for for you know years and years now. Well, honestly, Sam Landry. I mean, she she could be the next Summer Ellison. That, I think that's her ceiling. I think she could be that good for the Cajuns long term. Um, Lamb, I, I agree with you. I think especially to start the year, Lamb's going to be the number one. She's the proven one. She's the one who's who's like you say. She was kind of a second ace last year. She's a she's she's shown she's effective. So I think easily number one is is Lamb. But I think Landry has enough potential that you know I think she could go in there and by the end of the year, I mean. It's one of those things where I think she could be on that same level of being a second ace herself, you know, with the right development and all that. I think she's got that level of potential. She's really, really good. I mean, and I know that's kind of breaking it down in very simple terms, but Landry's really, really good. You know, watching her in high school and travel ball, you say, oh, okay. And, you know, yes, college ball is college ball. It's not high school ball. It's not travel ball. And there is always, no matter how good, a certain level of a learning curve for anybody moving up to the college level. But I think Landry certainly has the potential of being one of the best freshman pitchers in the country. And I think she's got a chance of making a mark on the Sun Belt in year one. Um, I think that's her, that's her ceiling. I think her and Landry, excuse me, uh, her and Lamb make a, make a nice pairing. And then Shorman, you know, comes in and, and Shorman got limited work at Kentucky, but she's got that SEC experience and she was successful at an SEC school. And Rachel Lawson, the head coach of Kentucky, knows how to pick a pitcher. She, she, she can pull out some really solid arms. And I think Shorman, you know, the fact that Lawson picked Shorman, I know Shorman's not there anymore. I think that speaks highly of Shorman. And, and, you know, to bring in that experience, obviously it's a different approach than what we've seen the last few years for the Cajuns. You know, sometimes you had a, an Ellison who was, a, you know, a workhorse, then you throw a transfer in there, that kind of thing. Now, you know, Shorman's coming in and she's not the, the top-level A-list, a you know, challenging an Ellison for innings kind of transfer, but I think she can be quietly effective. And I think that's the thing for the Cajuns is like now you've got three pitchers who can all kind of combine and in whatever it shakes out down the stretch, all three can be effective. Like all three have, have it in them to be able to get out in you know tough situations in conference games. And they all complement one another pretty well, I feel like. And so I think that's going to be key too, because, you know, situationally, Sometimes you need a different look, but sometimes you also need a, a a similar look with some tweaks. And I think the three of them combined should do should do pretty well as a staff, actually. And that's going to come in handy because softball is a changing game. You don't have, by and large, the 220 inning aces anymore. You need a staff. And so the Cajuns, I feel like now, actually, they legitimately have a staff and one that could be effective. Yeah, you know, ever since... God, I'll go back all the way to Jordan Wallace. Yeah. Ever, ever since we've kind of been a, a one pitch, a one pitcher rotation. Um, Jordan Wallace, and then you went into Alex Stewart, and yeah. then Summer. Uh, yeah. That that one year that you had Alex Stewart and Summer. Oh man. Yeah. We we could strike out any team in the country. That was so much fun. But uh, exactly right. That was a pair. You know, before we we move away from you know incoming freshmen in the recruiting class, talking about the number one recruiting <laughs> class in the country, outside of of Sam Landry and Maddie Hayden, who who we'll get into in a little bit, what names from from this class kind of interest you? What names should should Cajun fans get familiar with from from this recruiting class? Well, I mean, you hit my two big ones right off the top. So nicely done. Uh, we talked about Landry, and then 
we know what the Hayden family looks like. You know, we you, you talked about Haley Hayden already. Maddie Hayden, we know what she's made of. So I'm watching both of them. So again, nicely done. Now, excuse me, there's another one who comes in from, I believe it's, is it Columbia? She was a red shirt last year, but I'm counting her as a freshman. And that's Taylor Snow. And I, I like Taylor Snow. I saw her play in high school. So I, ho- I hope a red shirt's allowed under the question you asked me. Yeah, for um, sure. New, okay. yeah, new, I, I like newcomers. Snow. Yeah, there you go. Somebody hadn't seen pitch already. I do like Snow. Saw her pitch in high school some. I think she could be somebody that, you know, maybe she doesn't get a lot of innings because, like we talked about, the new three deep at the top of the staff. But I think she could be effective in the work she gets. And I think, I mean, that's just as important as a lot of other things to me. So that's another one that I've got on my list. Just kind of keep an eye on during the course of the year, see what work she gets, see how she does in those appearances. But that's one that I think, and especially, you know, let's, let's say, heaven forbid, you end up at some point down the road with an injury or something like that. You need to have somebody who can step up. And I think she's got that potential in her. So that that's another one that I've kind of got an eye on. Yeah. Um, heard a lot of good things about Taylor Snow. Looking forward to seeing what uh what she can do for this pitching staff. You know, looking at looking at this year, you get Raina O'Neill and Taylor Roman both back from injury, which uh definitely put a put a dent in the season last year. Uh so definitely huge to to get those pieces back to go along with some key contributors from last season, Sophie Piscos, Carly Heath, Melissa Mayu, Jenna King. You know, from from an offensive standpoint, what do you, what do you see out of the the Cajuns this year and uh Secondly, to that, do you see any of these incoming freshmen from an offensive standpoint being major contributors? Well, f- f- to start with the initial one, I think you're looking at it. I think you're going to see a little bit of a different offense than maybe what people are stereotypically used to seeing from the Cajuns. I think you're going to see still some power. Um, you know, you've got the O'Neills and the Romans and the Mayus and, and the ones who can hit it, hit it long ball. Really like Carly Heath. Um, thought she did a really nice job kind of stepping out somewhat last year. I feel like we'll probably see more of that from her this year. And, and she can do a little bit of everything. Excuse me, getting on base and then also hitting the long ball. Um, but I think I think you're going to see a more multidimensional Cajun offense this year. I, I don't feel like you have the, you know, the the big boppers is a word I like to use sometimes that you've had, you know, maybe one through nine is somebody who can hit, a, hit one over the fence on a regular basis. But I think you're going to see – more ability to do more things and to that point i think some of the transfers and some of the freshmen are coming in are more positive role players in that sense you know you can step in and you know maybe doesn't hit one over the fence but maybe steals 35 bases you know we, we've seen that in you know in keely milligan and a transfer a couple of years ago um o'neill and roman coming back from injury is going to be huge 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 for the cajuns like you talked about how big the losses were their returns are going to be just as important i believe because um, both the thing about O'Neill, she comes in as a veteran. She, she's she's one of the one of the long tenured players still there, and she's been a Cajun for a while. She's not a new transfer. She's been there for a while. You know, I talked earlier about you know you want to have the roster gelling. Well, O'Neill kind of has that already because she's been there for so long. So I think that's really important. Roman, my gosh, watching her hit's a lot of fun. I'll say that. Um, so I think both of those are really important pieces. And then you you, you mentioned a couple of the returns. I said Heath and you know Piscos, and then. I think you're going to see a combination of the freshmen and, and the the transfers. Uh, there's some in there. You talked about Maddie Hayden earlier, where I could really see her getting some good work. You know, you have a Stormy Kotlinick and a transfer that I think you could see getting some work. 
So I, that, that's one thing I think is going to be interesting this year. You know, last year you look at the Cajuns and you could say, okay, well, the starting lineup is going to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Yeah, that's nine. I had to count real quick. Um, yeah, so that, that's nine. Yeah, it took, it took me a second, but I got there. Uh, I don't think you got that this year, honestly. I don't think you have where you can sit there and say one through nine, okay, here's who's going to play here, who's going to play there. And honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think that's a bad thing. Because the one thing I the one thing I really like about what the Cajuns are made of this year is you don't have people written in pen in the spots. So if somebody starts showing out in limited work or somebody starts not doing so great in, in ex- extra work, well, maybe you swap them out. And I think you've got that this year because you don't have the – you know, you don't have the the World Series veterans there where, you, you know, how do you take them out of the lineup or however you want to phrase it. Don't get me wrong. I, I do think it's going to be a very different offense than what we're used to seeing from the Cajuns, uh, especially considering how many names departed to graduation last year. Um, I think that, that by itself tells you it's going to be a different roster. But I think the talent that's there can cover some different facets. I think, you know, you've got some base, uh, some get on base threats, base deals. You've got the power still. But I think it's more of a more of a balanced lineup. And, you know, maybe that's that's not something necessarily that we're used to seeing long term, you know, historically from the Cajuns. But I think I think it's a good way to be. And I think today's game of softballs is more, you know, more geared towards that. You can't you can't always expect to hit, you know, a bunch of home runs off the off of a pitcher. But, you know, you Cajuns smack a lot of doubles. Well, you keep smacking doubles, get on base in front of some doubles. And all of a sudden you're scoring runs and not a ball leaving the yard. So I think it's going to be a different look, but I think it's going to be a balanced look for the Cajuns offensively. Chatting with Justin McLeod from Extra Inning Softball. Justin, you know, we, we've mentioned Maddie Hayden multiple times. Um, she is the younger sister of Cajun great Haley Hayden. And, you know, while while I was preparing for this question, I, I took the liberty of pulling up our website and looking at some career stats for, for Haley. Yep. Uh, started every game of her college career. A 365 career average, 52 doubles, six triples, 49 homers, 214 RBIs, a slugging percentage of 644, an on-base percentage of 444. She only struck out 56 times in her career. A .971 fielding percentage and only 15 errors in her career for the Cajuns. Having said that, I I hate to play the the comparison game, but at the same time, when you have siblings, you you, you kind of have to. Uh, what what what's Maddie going to be able to do in comparison to that? Are we going to see similar results out of out of the younger Hayden? What kind of player is Maddie compared to Haley? Well, I I, I think the it's pretty clear that the softball blood in the Hayden house runs pretty deep. I mean, because you just said how good Haley was. I think Maddie's just as good, honestly. I think she's got that level of potential in her. Um, I, you know, I got to see Maddie play some in high school. Admittedly, not much, and not as much as I did Haley uh, back in back when. But I got to see her play some in high school. Kid's really, really solid. I like her poise, um, which was something that you know, at uh, times with Haley, you know, you saw, and I think that's something that Maddie has too. I like her poise a lot. Like her approach. So some of those intangibles that you know you can't really see from a stat sheet. I really like that with Maddie. I think she's somebody combination of the pedigree and also knowing, you know, firsthand because of her sister a little bit what college about college softball, excuse me, brings with it. I think she's somebody who can step in pretty easily, pretty seamlessly. You know, we've mentioned the learning curve sometimes from being a freshman. I, I think 
she I, I would project her to have a little less of that just because she knows a little more you know, intimately what what that's like and how to avoid and what to avoid, what to do. Um, I, I think Maddie is somebody that could be a contributor to the Cajuns right away. I think she's one of those pieces that could fit into a lineup early in the year and and perform well and execute well. Um, she's one of those. I mean, if you looked up her high school stats and her travel ball stats, and all that you know, a lot of speed. That one was easy. Um, I've seen that myself. And I think too, you get her to Cajun Lane, you put her in there with somebody like Jerry Glasgow. I mean, I think you could see her, you know, be a, be a across the board athlete at the plate instead of you know just a speed threat, just a short ball, short game threat versus just a power threat. I think you can see a little bit of everything from her. Um, I think she's really solid, honestly. Now, compare her to Haley, I mean, I'm going to back out of that question very skillfully by saying I think they're both great players. Um, but uh, truth be told, I think Maddie's potential, I think she could be just as good as Haley's been on the college level. And if that's, you know, if that's where she's at now, you know, we do this again in a year and she's had the kind of start that Haley's had, well, then I think that ceiling goes up. Um, I definitely think her potential's there. I think she's somebody that the Cajuns could see as a contributor pretty early on. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely see that. Um, I, I was able to pull up some of, of Maddie's tape from, from high school, and I definitely see a lot of similarities to to Haley. And, you know, like you said, her poise, her approach um, definitely reminded me of Haley. And, you know, like I said, if she can have, you know, just a little bit of the statistics that, that Haley was able to put together, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll be pleased with her four years here at Louisiana. Exactly right. Justin, man, you know, let, let's look at the, you know, everybody wants to know what the ceiling is. Everybody wants to know right. what the expectation is. What's the ceiling for this Raging Cajuns program? Uh, you know, our, our fan base, we, we like to sometimes have unrealistic expectations just because of, of the success that this program has been able to have. Um, is Oklahoma City, is the College World Series a realistic expectation for this team? I mean, I'm assuming you want honest here. I'm going to say no. And the re- only reason I'm going to say that is I think there needs to be a year for these young players to get situated. Um, I do think this is a group that can get to the Women's College World Series. I think this year, though, I think it, it needs to be more about this group gelling together and maybe fixing some of those things that we've talked about, you know, maybe has plagued with so many transfers coming in the last few years. Um, talent-wise, skill-wise, I do think Oklahoma City is a possibility for this for this team. I don't know that I see it happening this year. I think it's I think the Cajuns are obviously still a postseason team, still a championship team. And with a year of gelling under their belt, you ask me that same question in a year, I think maybe a different answer. Um, but I think I think concentration for this year on, on getting those young players in and getting kind of a, a gelling roster and a consistent roster together. You know, it's been a lot of turnover the last couple of years. I think that's gonna be important too. And then that will help set the stage for like I say, you asked me that question in a year, maybe it's a different answer. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think this team is quite ready for for Oklahoma City. Um, I, I think this year is going to be a great opportunity, like you said, to let the let the young talent kind of develop, learn the the differences between college softball and and high school or even travel ball, and just kind of gel together. And then uh, in twenty twenty three, it might be a completely different story. It could be a very different story. But, uh, you know, let's talk about the Sun Belt now. Uh, the Cajuns yeah. have, have dominated the Sun Belt for years and years and years. 
How do you see the conference shaking out? Uh, you know, Texas State has always last couple of years has come on as a as a competition group. Uh, Troy's always been fairly decent. Um, you know, I like a team like Georgia Southern. They're they're young. They they hit the ball well. You know, what teams do you see giving the Cajuns a, a run for their money here in the Sun Belt Conference? Well, I'll say this, and it's, it's not even an insult to the Cajuns, but a benefit to the entire conference. I think this is the tightest the Sunbelt Conference has been in in better part of a decade. Um, we saw the Sunbelt get four teams into the NCAA tournament last year, and that right there speaks to the strength of the conference. I think you're going to see probably, those, to me, those same four teams at the top this year. That would be the Cajuns, Texas State, uh, South Alabama, and Troy. Uh, the thing I like about each of those teams is you've got strong pitching. You know, all, all three of those teams that I just mentioned outside of the Cajuns have a real ace in the circle. And I think that's important. I mean, pitching, we've talked about pitching and the importance of it in softball already. I think that's ind- indicative of it there. All four of those teams have really strong top-line pitchers. I think you're going to see those same four teams at the top. At the same time, I think you've got some other teams that have potential. You mentioned Georgia Southern, an entirely new coaching staff, a little bit of a revitalization there. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that many years ago. You know, you saw Coastal Carolina with with kids hitting 25, 30 home runs a year. You know, that's a team that's always concentrated on the power. And you never know who's going to be the next 25 or 30 home run kid out of Coastal. You know, App State's always in contention. ULM's got some some young talent that, you know, bring it up the right way. You could see them do something and kind of challenge for that that next level. But I think I think the thing about the Sun Belt is I think you've got those four teams truly that could that all are going to challenge to be tournament teams. I really think this is the tightest the Sun Belt's been. I mean, if, if you read my Sun Belt forecast, I'm still picking the Cajuns to win until somebody knocks them off the throne. The throne is is theirs. But I think this is the this is the closest the conference race has been in, in quite a few years. And that, like I said, that's less of a criticism of the Cajuns than truly more of a testament to just the overall strength of the entire conference and especially that upper tier teams. Um, conference play should be really, really interesting this year. Yeah, you know, looking at the looking at the conference schedule, what games, what, what series um, intrigue you the most as, as an outsider? You know, is it is it one of those teams you mentioned, Texas State, South Alabama, or Troy, or you know, is, is there another team in the Sun Belt that that you might sit there and say, you know, watch this matchup with the Cajuns, look out for this team. Well, the fact that the Cajuns go to Texas State, I think that's going to be a really interesting series because to me, those are the two top teams. So if you boil if you boil that group of four down to the top two, I think those are the top two. So the Cajuns going to San Marcos, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. That's a really fun series to watch. Excuse me. And then you know the Cajuns go to South Alabama. That's another one because you know road, road games are always always at a level of intrigue from the Cajuns' perspective. Because you, know, you bring somebody into the Cajuns, well, you know that's the fans and the, the crowd and all that kind of stuff add an extra dimension. You take the Cajuns on the road, it's a little more of an interesting story because you don't have that that aspect to it. For me, if I'm looking at the Cajun schedule, I'm circling that Texas State series. I think that's going to be probably the most important series in the Sun Belt as a whole this year. Um, just, just because, like I said, I think those are the top two teams. The talent on each side of the ball for both teams is there. Um, so that, for me, would be the one I'd circle. And and then, like I say, the, the Cajuns, the South Al. Because, I mean, that, that's one of those top four, and they go there on the road. So I think that one's another one. But for me, Cajuns at Texas State, and I think it's early April, it's going to be really, really intriguing. 
Yeah, that that Texas State series is always fun. You know, you mentioned South Al that weekend right before coming up right before Easter, that Thursday, yep. Friday, Saturday series. Uh, we we close out with ULM, which you know ULM is always a rivalry. That's always fun. That's uh, true. You never know. Coastal Carolina might give us a run. Uh, that that first weekend in May, definitely a uh, intriguing schedule for sure. Looking, yep. look, looking down the line, and, and you know, not just the big names. You know, in in conference, you know, you have that. Like you said, we go to Austin on that yep. Wednesday, March thirtieth, and then we play the weekend with Texas State. Then we come back. We go to Lake Charles to play McNeese, and then we come back to play Troy. Yep. And then you got Southeastern, and then you go to South. So that right. sh- that stretch right there, those those three weeks, that's it's going to be a lot of challenging softball. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing how this young group is able to uh, to respond to a, to a stretch like that. Justin, man, Absolutely. we appreciate you taking the time. Before we let you run, though, tell everybody where they can uh, where they can find your work with Extra Innings. Well, so it's extrainingsoftball.com. Um, we're just finishing up our preseason coverage. We've done forecasts of all 32 Division One conferences, including the Sun Belt, and um, you know profiles of some different teams. And then season gets started, we're going to have wall-to-wall coverage like you always saw in Justin's World of Softball, except it's on extra training softball now. Um, so we're really looking forward to, to this season, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, once again, man, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, like I said, this is the this is the second year that we've got to sit down with you, and it, it's always fun to, to catch up and get good coverage on the Cajun. So we appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There he goes, Justin McLeod. That's going to do it for this episode of Rage and Review. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rage and Review. We will come back next week with a preview of the Louisiana Classic. And we will start talking some scheduling for baseball. And also cover the hardwood as the men's and the men got a big win last night over Little Rock. The women fell by one. They go to Jonesboro to play Arkansas State tomorrow. Once again, that's going to do it for this episode of Rage and Review. Be safe, be well, and you know the drill.